This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Stand by, Rutherford County. The WGNS Action Line continues a search for truth. Right now that time, 8.15 on this Monday morning. You're tuned to WGNS and our guest during the first half of the program, Dr. Ryan Korstan, an assistant professor of university studies and first year experience specialist at MTSU. Ryan, good morning to you. Hey, how are you? I am doing good. So tell us a little bit about what you do there at the university first. Yeah, well, uh, a couple things really. So my main obligation or responsibility is teaching. Uh, so I man- teach uh, a bunch of sections of a course that we call University 1010, uh, which really helps get students adjusted to the rigors of learning in college and figuring out sort of their way around MTSU and all the resources and opportunities it provides to them. Um, so I teach that, sec- that course a bunch, and then I manage the program. So I write curriculum, train faculty who also teach the course um, and, and that. And then the other part of my uh, sort of work is in research, and I do a lot of research around what it takes for students to be successful uh, in college and what those barriers are that get in their way of success. Dr. Korstan with us from MTSU. That first year of college for students, that freshman year, can be quite the eye-opener, and I know (laughs) it's different for all of them because it seems like that first year, they go in all different directions. You know, it could be towards a fraternity, could be towards really focusing on school, could be partying all the time. I mean, it's always different. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Well, and that's one of the one of the unique, unique features of MTSU. You know, it's a campus of 23,000 students or someplace around there. Uh, and that means that you can really carve your own path in a way that's uh, quite unique. And I think that in general, um, that is the big struggle, right? Like students are really working hard to try to figure out what they want to do. Uh, and for a lot of them, it's the first time that they've really had the opportunity to think about what they want to do. Uh, you know, it's not what, what do your parents want you to do or what do your teachers want you to do or what's going to get you into college. But, but it's a new taste of freedom, and that can be overwhelming and challenging. Definitely so. In that, that first year, I, I think, you know, it, it's a time where those who are 18, sometimes even as young as 17, are really experiencing what they want to do in life, how they want to be in life, and, and they're just forming themselves, yeah. their own personality all over again. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, well, and I think too, you know, so much of the K 12 experience is centered in students' minds, at least around getting into college. And then they get to college, and now the question is, what's next? Um, and I think that that's a, that's a big change in identity. Uh, but the other thing that I'd say, too, is that MTSU, we have a lot of students who aren't 18, who are older, who are returning, who are uh, coming back to MTSU after, you know, a couple of years or even decades in the workforce. Uh, and those students have a similar transition, right? They figured out how to operate um, as an adult uh, in society, as a valuable member of society. And now they're just trying to figure out how to sort of learn at MTSU how to get the value that they need out of their experience. Um, and that transition looks quite a bit different as well. So uh, there's, there's a lot that goes on in students' first year. It's a, it's a quite varied, varied thing. And I understand MTSU just received a $100,000 grant from the Tennessee Board of Regents, and it's for developing open education resources 
to yeah. lower cost of student textbooks. So right. explain this a little bit more. Yeah, well, so uh, open education resources, maybe I should start and explain what those are. Uh, open education resources are sort of teaching or learning materials that are licensed openly to students or any user. Uh, and so when we talk about OER, we're talking about things that, uh, well, we have a shorthand that we call the five R's. So there are things that users can retain, they can reuse, they can revise, they can remix, and they can redistribute. So basically, it's openly licensed to a user to use sort of the ways that they see fit. Um, so uh, in practice, when this comes to like textbook materials, what we have is a set of resources that were developed by faculty who are experts in their field, uh, but made available for teachers and students to use for free um, in ways that are important to them. So uh, as a, for me as a teacher, uh, what it allows me to do is take stuff that I think is useful for my students and tailor it to their experience and add to it uh, and change it a little bit and um, just really provide a individualized and personalized learning to the students who are in my classes. Um, so I think it's quite a, uh, a win for learning in college. Uh, and, and we're really excited about this grant. Uh, the big purpose of the grant is to help, help us uh, help faculty to know more about OER, because uh, at the end of the day, faculty are the ones who control the curriculum and they make the decisions about textbooks. Uh, and so we want them to know sort of more about this resource and give them uh, potentially a little bit of a push to, to try this resource in their teaching or these, these, re these types of resources. So I, I guess it would be, what, the professor actually saying, well, we need to use this, uh, and this mm -hmm. is how we're going to implement it in our classroom, or, or how would all yeah. of that work out? Yeah, so uh, textbooks are selected by faculty, sometimes by faculty committees, you know, in like larger courses where, uh, you know, you have a bunch of faculty who are teaching the same course, they might make a committee and select a textbook there. But, you know, at MTSU, like every other college, curriculum design is the, is the purview of the faculty. And what that means is faculty choose uh, what, what to include in class. And so uh, what we're trying to do is increase faculty knowledge of open education resources. There's a tremendous set of, of these resources that are freely available to students. Um, and so we want faculty to know about them. Um, and then we want to... Uh, sort of take away some of the burden of adopting them. When you adopt a textbook, there's a whole bunch of other instructional design that has to come along with that. You, you have to figure out how to present that material to students. Uh, you have to redesign assignments. You have to redesign sort of the course website if you want. Uh, and so we're trying to provide sort of all that support to remove barriers for faculty to use OER if that's their preference. So I'm, I'm curious. Are textbooks somewhat similar at universities all across the state? Are, are they using some of the same textbooks? I, I mean, I, I don't know how the yeah, Tennessee Board question. of Regents works with different colleges on the textbooks that are chosen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. and so what I think is, and I'm, this is a little bit outside of what I know specifically, uh, my assumption is that there would be some, it depend, I think it depends entirely based on the discipline. So what teachers are looking to do, uh, what faculty at colleges are looking to do is find the best educational materials for their students. 
Uh, and so sometimes that means that one textbook or one resource sort of rises above the rest and a lot of people adopt it. Uh, but I think more generally it means that people are using similar but different things based on sort of the needs that they see that their students have. Uh, because the goal at the end of the day uh, is to help students who are in the classes that you teach learn. Um, and, you know, while we can talk about average averages and typical students across the state, you know, students are different from place to place and class to class, and so they have slightly different needs. Uh, and I think faculty are selecting based on, you know, those needs of the students who they're actually teaching. Now, the open education resources, this is really going to help out those first-year students for sure, I, yeah. I guess more than any yeah. other, but also minority yeah. and those who may be, I guess, unrepresented within society, they are going to be helped out too. Yeah, and so uh, the, the way that, yes, I agree with that. And the way that I would uh, sort of support that or argue for that is, uh, at least with first-gen students, we can start there. With first-generation students, it's, it's pretty easy not to recognize that textbooks are an added cost and not included in tuition. I mean, if you think about uh, students experiencing K-12, textbooks are a part of, they just get them for going to class. Um, and so we, what we see is we see students, you know, working really hard to figure out how to pay the tuition cost and then being surprised on the first day or the, first, or the week before class where they need to come up with extra money to pay for textbooks. Uh, what we know is that right now in Tennessee, uh, students spend on average $1,500 a year on textbooks. Um, that's a, a lot of money. That's past uh, tuition, which, you know, as we know, tuition has risen uh, over the past couple of decades as well. Uh, so that passes a lot of costs on to students, uh, and first-gen students especially aren't necessarily prepared for that massive cost. Uh, so what happens is, Lots of students choose not to purchase books, uh, even when they know that they're going to get a lower grade uh, because of that. Um, we also know that the textbook cost uh, affects uh, selection. Students are looking for courses that have uh, lower textbook costs sometimes, and that sort of moves them out of certain majors um, often uh, because STEM textbooks end up being quite a bit more expensive than other textbooks. Uh, so it's a, it's a phenomenally uh, important issue when we think about equity in education. What we're hoping to do is remove all kinds of barriers for students' learning uh, so that sort of any student can learn wherever they want and they're not sort of encumbered by these unexpected textbook costs uh, that get in the way of their learning. Dr. Corstan with us from MTSU. Now, when you say first-generation student, are you meaning the first in their family to attend college yeah. or just a freshman student? Uh, the first in their family to go to college, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's some variation in the definition, but it might be uh, first-gen sometimes gets, me, gets applied to students whose, whose parents haven't graduated from college, but most often it means a student whose parents or grandparents haven't attended college. You know, that that is an interesting subject in itself because from yeah. what I have seen, from what I've read as well, it's often those students who really excel in college more so than a lot of other students who maybe their entire family has college degrees. Yeah. Yeah, there's a – this goes away from OER a bit in, in terms of the topic, but there has been some interesting studies about sort of – 
uh, which students um, benefit most from college. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's sort of, it's interesting research because it seems like it's um, maybe not quite the students we always expect um, that benefit. And if we think just in terms of economic gain, you know, we have this uh, assumption that it's good for everybody to go to college and that by going to college you earn more money across your career. Um, one of the things that some economic research has shown is that it's, it's sort of uh, students who come to college from the lower income quintile who benefit the most, um, and that's because they have the most to gain in some ways. Uh, so, you know, college is this really interesting opportunity for students. Uh, and, and all we're trying to do with this OER grant is figure out how to provide the maximum benefit to the most students uh, who come to MTSU. Uh, and it's a, it's a cool project. Sometimes those who come from areas, let's say an inner city area, where uh, a lot of folks may be on food stamps and things like that, when they come into a college, I think they are welcomed and they are quite surprised sometimes by the students around them compared to what it was like in high school growing up because in high school you uh -huh. only have X amount of students there to choose from to be friends with versus yeah. college. It's like an entire city all of a sudden and you're able to make all new friends. They don't know you. You're a fresh face. It's just totally right. different. Yeah, and uh, yeah, <laughs> it's interesting because um, it seems like in, in sort of today's uh, world, I guess, that college is one of the most sort of say, um, most uh, diverse experiences that students experience in their life. Um, and so you have people from all walks of life in your classes, um, all races, all religions, uh, genders, all that. Uh, and it's a really diverse and interesting experience. But I think you're right, you know, especially at a school like MTSU, there are so many folks you can find sort of your niche of people uh, that you want to fit in with. Uh, sometimes it takes a little while, but you, you definitely can find that, yeah. College is, I guess, like the real world, but then again, nothing like the real world. It's just, it, there's so many yeah. different things there and experiences for those who are coming to college for the first time. Yeah, and I think that's actually, one, that points to one of the challenges uh, that we have um, in college is figuring out sort of ways to make what's going on in the class real. Uh, you know, there, we, what we have is tons of expertise on the faculty. Uh, we have tons of time with students to help them think about things that are significant and to help them learn in meaningful ways. Um, and, and the, you know, what we need to do is figure out how to connect that, uh, you know, exceptionally well with sort of what's going on in their world. Um, you know, and the challenge there is the student's world is not my world. So what I really have to do is find out from the students what's going on with them, uh, which, you know, that takes time and relationship, and that's, that's a challenging thing. Dr. Ryan Korstan with us this morning from MTSU as we close out this segment. If anybody has any questions, let's say some parents want to know more about this, where can they find that information? Uh, we have a website, um, and it is, uh, I think if you just search MTSU OER, you're going to find it. Um, I will look for it uh, really fast here. Um, but, yeah, we have a website uh, where we're going to be posting um, 
a bunch of updates about our grant and, and their work there. Um, so that's probably the best. Uh, yeah. So if you just go to mtsu.edu, there's a little search box, and I guess that's the easiest yeah. way. And if you type in OER, it should pull it up, you say? Yeah, I'm trying to do it right now. Um, yep, that will do it. Perfect. Well, that sounds great. Dr. Corstan with us again with MTSU. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Time right now, 8.32. You're tuned in to WGNS on this Monday morning, today the 15th of February. We have more news, more information coming up, and uh, a couple more interviews from folks out there at MTSU. Here at Bud's Tire, we make buying Michelin tires simpler. I'm Allison Mitchell with Bud's Tire Pros. We offer a straightforward approach to service, including nationwide warranties with every purchase. Stop in today to see our full lineup of Michelin and BF Goodrich tires. For whatever you drive, Michelin and BF Goodrich have a tire to fit any need. Bud's Tire Pros, hassle-free, guaranteed. We're located on East Main Street, exactly three miles from the town square, one mile past Rutherford Boulevard. Visit us online at BudsTireProsTN.com. Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demas's Restaurants. One of the things when we were looking at trying to craft our menu to help those who are dieting is the side dishes. A lot of times we were so used to eating starches and unhealthy side dishes. In addition to our spinach, which we've had on the menu from the start, we've added zucchini and green beans, but we've also added broccoli. The broccoli is properly steamed so it's not too soft and not too hard. Please have your family join our family for lunch or dinner seven days a week at Demas's. Hi, this is Dave Kivanimi at Music World and Drummer's Den. Music World now is the dealer for Ernie Ball, Sterling Guitars and Basses. This is a great new line of guitars and basses, and it's a fantastic complement to our Taylor Acoustics and our Paul Reed Smith Electrics. We've also got ESP LTDs, which are a fantastic line of guitars. This is Dave Kivanimi at Music World and Drummer's Den on South Church Street across from Indian Hills Golf Course. A winter storm warning is in effect for the forecast area. Periods of freezing rain and sleet mixing at times here this afternoon with cloudy sky conditions and temperatures holding rather steady. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 26. Good morning. There's definitely some slick spots out here. Give yourself plenty of extra travel time this morning just to be on the safe side. Traffic's still moving on 24 here up by 840. All the traffic flow coming in from Coffee County in and through Rutherford County right now. Again, some of the bridges and overpasses are just downright dangerous, like skating on an ice skating rink. So be careful. Hey, check out the Andre Chicken Sandwich now, available at Princess Hot Chicken, 5814 Nolensville Pike. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. Old friends, new name, better together, as First National Bank of Murfreesboro transforms into Capstar Bank, our focus is on you. We're entering a new generation of banking in Rutherford County, but we'll always remain a community bank with local people you trust and uniquely exceptional service you deserve. We're at 2230 Mercury Boulevard, capstar.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. The Action Line on FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. We're Rutherford County's place to talk. Time right now, 8.35. You're tuned to, I almost said MTSU. You're tuned to WGNS, and we're talking with different folks from MTSU. And now with us is Frank Baird. 
Assistant Professor of Audio Production and the new director of the Chris Young Cafe. Good morning. How are you, Frank? Uh, good morning. I'm excellent. So what is this Chris Young Cafe? I've heard a lot about it. Well, good. Well, thank you. And thanks for having me on this morning. Um, the Chris Young Cafe is a, it's, you know, people are calling it a live music venue. Um, as the instructor uh, of teaching live event production, I look at it as a live event lab. So it's a classroom by the day. It's a lab space in the evening for students to learn lights and sound and video. And then this semester, because of social distancing, we'll start adding events in um, in March and April where we'll bring artists in, you know, uh, students that are on campus, and they'll perform on stage. And then the technicians, the lights and sound and video technicians, will support those events. You know, MTSU is so fascinating to me because you have so much to offer in the field of communication, music, the arts, all of that combined. And the cool part about it is there's so many fun jobs in that direction. <laughs> it, it just it, it makes life more fun, I think, for college students. Well, you know, and I do appreciate you saying that. You know, I, I am, I do like the fun. Um, I do think, uh, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I got into the music industry. Now, I'm, I'm a touring professional. I'm a sound engineer by trade. Um, and I've been in, in higher ed in the, the college format for probably 20 years now. Um, so I'm bringing the skills that I learned out on the road, which I enjoyed, um, and bringing it to higher ed in, a, in an academic form. I mean, it's not that the students just come in and they get to play with the equipment. Um, they've got to write papers about, you know, what they did in their labs with references, and that seems to be challenging for them. We're, we're calling them uh, open labs. Um, if it wasn't for the snow, that's what we would be in there doing this afternoon. You know, I had a friend years ago, and he went into that recording industry, graduated from MTSU, and right right out of school, he got a job with uh, Mercury, Mercury Records at the time, and it was with some talent that, that at the time nobody ever heard of. It was uh, Alan Jackson. But he he talked about how excited he was to go into that real-world field directly after college and, and then get to know well, he's now a huge name, of course, but he said it was just so fascinating. Just, you know, that timeline back in the Mercury Record timeline, it was just interesting. And, of course, things have changed a lot since then. Well, you know, we're, we're not sure what those changes are. I mean, for the live entertainment industry, which is where I, you know, I, I mean, there's recording, which is documenting things. And, of course, the record industry has changed um, due to uh, online streaming. Uh, but the concert industry, we always thought we were bulletproof. You know, you could always get a job doing lights or sound. Um, and, of course, with uh, social distancing, that has certainly changed. Everything got put on hold um, March 14th. So when I talk to my, my colleagues that are out there touring, I mean, there, there are no concerts. You know, restaurants go, got to go back to, to work, even though it was a reduced capacity. But there, I mean, we had the Super Bowl, but there really are no events. I don't know. I mean, we just don't know. But I think pr my prediction would be when we do get to go back to concerts, which everybody really, I mean, we're all hungry to go do that. I think the demand for technicians is going to be going to be great. And I think that, that our students will be ready um, to, to 
go into the field and, and help support the industry when we when we get to go back. You know, one of the things that is being pushed right now and has been throughout the pandemic are online concerts. Now, it's not quite the same atmosphere when an online nope. concert takes place. Not not as fun, not nowhere close to as fun. But in those type of events, how in the world does this, the, the production of them, are they done in a studio or, or where are they doing these? I mean, people are doing them in their homes. Um, the grand opening of the Chris Young Cafe just a few weeks ago, I mean, Chris Young did come in. There was very small group of people and we deliberated who who can we invite and you know there were hurt feelings and we, we tried to include as many as possible but we could only bring in a few but for chris young i mean one of the things that we heard was you know if you're an artist these are these are kind of dark times because they're used to having those accolades and the attention and the event and even though they're doing live stream however that might be uh, very few opportunities for artists to get, you know, that kind of interaction with with fans. Um, you know, it's it's crazy. Uh, I don't know if you know what Half Life is. There's that, you know, virtual uh, world, but artists are starting to perform in Half Life in a virtual virtual sense, and they have a couple of million people showing up to watch their Half Life show in a in a completely virtual world. That's certainly a game changer um, for for concerts, but that's what people are able to do these days. It's really quite different right now, and I've got to say, it, it's not as fun, really, the way it is right now. This setting, while virtual reality is really cool, it, it's just not as cool with concerts. Right, and we're finding that with students. I mean, the students are they're doing okay being online, but you you know that they just want to be in person. They just want to get dressed up in the morning and go, you know, pick their seat in a classroom. Frank Baird with us this morning from MTSU, and we're talking a little bit about not only Chris Young and the Chris Young Cafe, but also the entertainment business and live concerts. Now, this new Chris Young Cafe, it's on the MTSU campus, and the neat thing about it, it really was a cafeteria at one point. Um, it is was the Woodmore Cafeteria. Um, one of the things we're working on, we have an identity crisis. It's still listed as Woodmore Cafeteria down in the DNA of the, the system. It was called the Cyber Cafe for quite a few years, and that's still what people like refer to it as. Now we've uh, you know rebranded it as the Chris Young Cafe, but it was this odd little building. There was a subway that was in there. And um, I started carrying gear across campus and doing, you know, little acoustic events in there as a, as a workshop, as a lab experience for my students to learn live sound. And then we added lighting, um, and then it just grew. And I'm grateful, you know, I mean, it's, it's the support of administration, it's support of my colleagues, it's support of the industry, of, of Chris Young seeing this and saying, you know, this is a good idea that has brought it together and my first day of class just this this semester when I walked in I thought you know this is a really nice place this is a really nice place to get to have class so grateful very cool Chris Young a uh, an artist who is from Murfreesboro who's now uh, obviously worldwide with his country music he donated fifty thousand dollars to actually update this building and really turned it into or helped turn it into what it is today 
uh, you know, it, it was really him lending his name and that attention um, that got everybody else on board. Uh, I mean, we've had the support of the installers. Uh, Solo Tech is a company uh, in town. Um, I bring in tour buses for um, one of my classes, and the students get to be on a tour bus. And it's it's his name that's really added so much more attention. Um, it, grateful. I mean, it, it's 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 meaningful for him. I mean, that's what his management said. It's meaningful for him. And that has made it really, really meaningful for the students. And and what a cool place to have on campus for the university as a community. If you would, Frank, kind of walk us through this new Chris Young Cafe. If we go into the front door, what are we going to see? Are there stages, like small stages, one stage? Tell us what we see. Um, you know, I brought my experience in the concert industry, in the nightclub industry. I mean, I worked in all the honky-tonks. Um, on Lower Broadway in uh, Nashville in the in the 90s. So I brought that experience with me. I do have to say one of my colleagues came in Friday for the first time, and he walked around the corner and he said, "This is this is real. This is as real as any nightclub uh, gets." I mean, you walk in, um, there is a real stage. It's 16 foot by 24 foot. It is stained black. Um, that size of a stage, you can put any touring um, band on that, country, rock band, horns, whatever it is, that's large enough uh, that it, I mean, it might be cramped. Um, I put the Eagles on a stage that was smaller than that one time. Um, there's a video wall um, behind it. Uh, the media arts department, Mike Forbes, brings in his video students, <clears throat> excuse me, and there's content that goes on the wall. There is a lighting rig, uh, now, albeit a small one, but there are real theatrical lights, and the theater department on campus is bringing their students over to run lights for us. Um, there's a modest seating area. I mean, right now there's just a few tables in there because we're socially distancing. Capacities at 200. Uh, we've had the fire marshal in and made sure that it's safe and that we got the right fire extinguishers in the right locations. And then there's a little knee wall that separates where the patrons will be and behind that on carpeting is where the technicians will be and then there's lights and sound and video um equipment back there and then and then there's the classroom equipment you know every every classroom has to have a computer and a place to do powerpoint and those kind of things with uh, cameras to stream now this it's, it's a really nice place it sounds really cool, and it started out at 3,200 square feet of somewhat usable space, and then it grew to 4,100 square feet of much more yep. open space. And you're yep. saying up to 200 people can fit in here. Uh, that is capacity. Now, uh, uh, one of the things in our uh, program and the entertainment, uh, live entertainment program, uh, what's important to me is event safety. Uh, very few colleges, universities teaching that. Uh, it is in our DNA. We work with the Event Safety Alliance. Um, in, in my generation, in the 70s, the 60s and 70s, in the touring industry, it was very cavalier, very rock and roll, the show must go on. And now what we want to make sure is that the people working in the industry can have long careers, yeah. that they can 
go home safely, and the patrons get to go home safely. You know, it's wild how music has not only changed, but the way it's delivered, of course, has changed greatly. But then what has also changed is the way people attend concerts, view music, and how they get involved within the music itself as it's being played. So kind of tell us how it has changed for the entertainers themselves compared to, like you were saying, the 70s going up to today. Um, I mean, I think, you know, the, 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 one of the, that's an interesting, that's an interesting question. I mean, I think one of the biggest ways that it's changed is the streaming. I mean, it used to all be about the sound, you know, the speakers had to be big and they had to be loud. And now I know that the speaker systems are certainly smaller and, uh, video is the new light show. So, you know, it's the content that's on the video wall and even modest acts, you know, uh, you know, they, there's a video wall. Churches have video walls with big content. Um, so and it's, it's much more integrated and it, it used to, like I said, it used to be about the sound. And now if the lighting techs have a, a problem or if there's an issue, uh, and I know that I am very tech centric, we all help each other out. And it used to be very divided where you only did audio or you only did lighting. And now what we're teaching students is, like in the evenings when they do their labs, it's all three entities in there working on their labs together. And I encourage the students, go over and see what the video wall students are doing. Go over and look at the lighting console. Um, because we should all be collaborating together because at the end of the day, we're, we're all going to sleep on the same bus together, right? We're all going to be going down the road, and if something happens, we have to help each other. Definitely so. Again, Frank Baird with us this morning from MTSU. Frank, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Appreciate you. Time right now, 849. You're tuned to WGNS. We do have more coming up in just a second. Another segment of interviews with MTSU in just a minute. Again, the time, 849. It is important that we honor our American veterans every day. That's why Family Staffing Solutions takes great pride in saluting our local veterans here in Rutherford County. Veterans, we thank you and your story matters to us. Family Staffing Solutions, stay independent at home and in charge. WGNS proudly salutes and remembers our U.S. veterans who have served our country. Each congressman, senator, and governor could test as many people as they wanted to get down to 10. Well, mine tested 100. The academy was brand new. West Point and Annapolis, you got a primary or an alternate, where if you passed, you're in. If you failed, the alternate goes. In this salute, we talked to a veteran who served in the U.S. Air Force. So I graduated with... James Deck, better known as J.D., flew a C-130 in Vietnam. They sent us to sea survival. We went out there and they scared out of us. They let us float out in a raft by ourselves, in a single man raft. And then we went to Stead Air Force Base for jungle survival. They chased us all over the mountain shooting at us. We lived off of wild radishes and onions and things like that. And then they captured you and you went into POW training and you spent like seven different ways they were going to interrogate you. And they said, the only thing we can't replicate is the fear of death, but everything else we can do. And they did. And I had many friends that had never spent.
breakdowns and they failed. One of the things that most of the people broke down on was they shoved you into a box and just kept pushing till you couldn't move and we had a bag over our head 24-7. I was in there and I could rub my nose with one finger. So I fixated on being able to do this instead on the pain and suffering. James Deck, a veteran of Vietnam. This has been a salute to veterans. Have you experienced the nightmare of water, mold, or fire damage? Call Restoration One for a free estimate. Veteran and locally owned, fast and available 24-7. Restoration One offers preventative maintenance so that you never have to experience a loss like this again. Restoration One, the water damage experts. You can make a meaningful difference in 2021. KidLink Community Services is currently seeking foster parents in your area. KidLink provides free training and certification. Contact KidLink today at 877-714-1313 or KidLinkServices.com. The Action Line on FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. We're Rutherford County's place to talk. It is now 8.52. You're tuned to WGNS on this Monday morning and now headed back to MTSU and now talking with Kathleen Schmend, and she is with the James E. Walker Library. Good morning. Good morning. How are you this morning? I'm hanging in there, haven't fallen down on the snow, or the ice, I should say. So, so far, so good. That is a positive. Now, your new role is the library dean. This is a position that you assumed in January. So what do you do there as the library dean? So um, in my position, I'm responsible for working with staff to make sure that we are providing the programs and services that really move forward the institution's priorities and goals. Um, so it's making sure that all of the day-to-day operations um, are happening the way that they need, that staff have the resources and tools and skills um, in order to make sure that we're meeting the needs of the campus community. So the library provides um, collections, um, which you know you would typically expect with a, an academic library. So all of those <clears throat> um, articles and journals and books and videos um, are critical to the work that students and faculty are trying to do on campus. Um, so that's just one aspect. Then we have other programs and services, such as the Makerspace, that provides experiential learning for students and opportunities to engage in creative art and acts and design um, that uh, produce new educational outcomes for those um, uh, students. Now, your path to MTSU is kind of interesting. Your father invited you here to spend Thanksgiving, I guess, in Murfreesboro with him at his house, and, and he was pretty excited about wanting you to see MTSU. Yeah, it w- I was up at uh, the University of Pittsburgh in graduate school, and uh, he had decided to move back here. And uh, so I flew down for Thanksgiving. And he's he's a he was a, a Civil War history expert and um, uh, Americana. He dealt with antiquarian uh, books and things like that. And um, he drove me all around to see the sites. And he's he's like. Hey, look, here's MTSU. It's a Middle Tennessee State University. It's a a great place. You can think about working there, you know, after you get your degree. And I, you know, I just said, sure, that'd be great. Because at the time, you know, I was still uh, well into the beginning of my program and where I was going to go. And, and, um, uh, he was here a short time. He uh, he couldn't deal with the ice storms, which came in February, which so it's uh, totally ironic. 
And uh, so he ended up going back to California, but I still remember that story, and um, it's uh, he'd be pretty happy that I was here and, and um, landed at MTSU. I, I know he'd be proud. Again, Kathleen Schmand with us, and she is with MTSU, the dean of the James E. Walker Library on campus. We only have about four minutes or so left, but kind of give us some ideas of what are some of your goals being at MTSU. Well, I think, you know, student success is um, a huge priority for the institution as it is for the library. And so what we want to do is make sure that we're providing the best services and programs um, in support of student success on campus. And it also means access to resources. So um, I'm working with staff um, in the library right now on a number of different projects that will help improve access to um, collections. So we um, are in the middle of a transition from Dewey Decimal uh, cataloging system to the Library of Congress cataloging system. And so we're doing a a big shift of materials. Um, As a result, we have what we call a pull and hold service, which means anybody can find a book um, that they want in the collections, click a few buttons, and we'll go and retrieve it and make it available for them um, to pick up anytime, uh, you know, once we've been able to, to do that. So it makes it pretty easy for students to just say, oh, I need these five books, we'll go get them, and, and they're on a bookshelf um, within 24 hours, and students can come just in and, and pick them up. Um, we're making sure that um, they have access to uh, technology. So we have a, a quite a few computers in the building. We've got laptops that students can check out, and we're planning to increase um, the kinds of equipment that students can check out also for how long they can check it out. Um, Sometimes four hours just isn't enough, so we're looking at a three-day checkout for some of our equipment going forward, and and we're in the process of of making some of those changes. So they'll be able to borrow things like digital cameras, um, laptops for three days, um, makerspace equipment for three days, um, we're, we're still building that uh, a program. And <clears throat> then it's also um, we're doing some back-end improvement in the um, information system that we use to manage circulation, um, inventory for the collections, things like that. So those are some of the, the projects that we're working on right now, but I plan to try and do some strategic planning with the, the library staff going into the summer and also include voices from across campus and kind of where do they where do they want to see the library go and what are some things that we can do for the campus in order to um, again increase access increase um, student success activities um, for the, the students we're down to about a minute and a half and a half left but Kathleen Schman with us this morning libraries of today other than just the books, don't look anything like libraries of years past. So it is a total change of environment for sure at libraries all over the country. But computers, small meeting rooms and stuff like that, these are all things that are part of libraries today. Yes, and libraries have been in constant change for more than 40, 50 years. Um, and it's trying to be responsive to the needs of its community. So for a public library, may make different programs and service changes versus an academic library. And what we've seen is um, uh, more integration of technology in the classroom, in teaching, um, more group work, so, you know, hence um, uh, group study rooms, things like that, 
um, more experiential learning, really that hands-on um, undergraduate research as well as um, the creative aspects of learning and making sure that we are providing those uh, uh, the access to those because the library has a has a really amazing central role in serving the campus community. We can be open longer, um, we're accessible to everybody, so it makes perfect sense to to take on those kinds of responsibilities. Again, with us this morning, Kathleen Schman from MTSU, and uh, she is once again the new library dean at MTSU, taking that position on in January. And uh, we appreciate you joining us, and it sounds like uh, you've got a lot of work to do because you've got to make sure that the students there understand what the library is, first of all, and see it as, as relevant, and I guess make sure that whatever information they're gathering for reports and, and whatnot, they have to make sure it's authentic and, and accurate for sure. But uh, yes. big, big job. And we're, we're out of time this morning, but thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I, I enjoyed it.